0: This episode is brought to you by Danone North America, the world's largest B Corp, committed to doing all kinds of better for people and the planet. Learn more at DenoneAwayfromHome.com.
1: This week on Meet and 3, it's all about screens. We're diving into the world of TV, computers, and even VR to figure out how food consumption is shifted by a digital lens. Every course talks about a different
0: topic within the Asian American identity through a very personal lens. And the three courses that are paired with VR, in it you're seeing a brushstroke by brushstroke recreation of the dish that you're about to eat.
1: Most of us in the world live in urban areas, and so how much is the city already accidentally providing its residents, and how much more could it provide if um, we just made it a priority? Tune in to Meetin 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Hello, Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. This is the 264th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the founder of a brand-new cereal company and an all-around brek- breakfast guru, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to eat breakfast. Yes, I'm sure you've heard it before that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's good for us. It's good for our health. It's good for better memory, concentration, jump-starting our metabolism, controlling our blood sugar, and more. And it can be quite delicious. Yet still, for some reason, people tend to skip breakfast. So I'm here to remind us that we need to fuel in the morning to get us going and keep us healthy and strong. So make breakfast a part of your everyday routine. It will do the body and the mind good. That's my tip today. Now, this is going to be fun. It's really a breakfast show we're, we're going into, so um, I'm excited. My guest today is Emily Elise Miller. She is the CEO and founder of Off Limits, a new cereal and culture brand built around emotionally unstable counterculture cartoon characters. Emily is also the author of Breakfast, the Cookbook. And the founder of Breakfast Club, a global event series that connects culinary and design innovators and chefs through a ritual of breakfast. So, without further ado, welcome to the show. Hi, Emily. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. I'm, and I'm, I'm like, now I'm like, and I'm thinking of all the things I want to eat for breakfast. <laughs>
1: breakfast for dinner is what it sounds like is going to be happening. <laughs> Seriously, I I I
0: love that, and I think I've I've seen quotes um, that you've said before too. That breakfast can be at any time of day. <laughs> exactly. So um, let's let's start out a bit with your background. I mean, how did you get into the culinary and hospitality space, and then find your way into this this um, Uh, breakfast uh, category?
1: Well, it was kind of a, a zigzagging path, to be honest. I grew up between Hawaii and Arizona. My dad is in the hotel industry. So from a young age, he really exposed my sister and I to all things hospitality. We would walk around the hotel with him as he's like picking things up, organizing things, going to the restaurant, helping us understand how... Everything works from being behind the bar to the kitchen to the table setup up and all of that. So it's always been something that's really fascinating to me and the detail-orientedness, the passion, all of those things that he kind of instilled in me from a young age, I felt like really stuck for a long time. My career ended up taking me more towards fashion. So I ended up in New York going to school for fashion design, focusing on um, trend forecasting. And then when everyone found out how much I loved food and was always talking about food and restaurants and um, traveling and that kind of thing, I got put on a lot more of the food content and stories and reminded me how much I love it. And I, you know, it was game over from there. I was back in the food industry in a in a very big way and happy to be there yeah you know, I was thinking
0: back, I can a lot of times with my guests i I feel we've known each other for so long. I can't remember exactly when we met. but i I do recall trends on trends, um, yeah, which which I think is how I connected with you initially as as you were a writer, and I was starting out in PR.
1: It was, yeah. You've you've mentioned the cascade of my career so far, um, definitely starting with Trends on Trends. I know how long I've known people because sometimes they still email me from that address too. <laughs> I, so, I still um, have that one. I know I do. Exactly. I have a lot of email addresses. Anyone who knows me <laughs> like knows yeah. I've started a million businesses in that time. So Trends on Trends was really my response to the world of trend forecasting, which I felt was very fashion focused and I wanted to bring a little bit more life and hospitality and design to the space. Um, I, I used it as a way to write about the things that I was really excited about on a global scale and trends that I was noticing around the world and from that, Um, Got some exposure to different media outlets. They asked me to start freelancing for them and kind of took off from there. And I, I really like dove into freelance writing. So was writing for every, you know, food design kind of publication around the world talking about global food trends. Yeah, it's amazing. So when did you come up with The Breakfast Club? It was during that time of writing. I had Trends on Trends for a little bit. I wasn't actually sure what I wanted to do with it yet, but while I was writing, I was traveling, exploring new places, figuring out you know what to write about, and just inherently loved connecting with people, trying to figure out who the creatives are in each city, the chefs, like what makes each city really defiant and what kind of food culture defines the culture there. Um, wanted a way to connect everybody at once cuz usually it was a short amount of time that I was in a city so got together this idea called breakfast club which instead of you know going to like a media dinner or meeting people for cocktails, I thought it would be really cool to create a special environment and encourage chefs who don't normally serve breakfast to open their doors in the morning, create a family-style meal or just a breakfast that they have always wanted to create for essentially their peers. And it was other... I invited other creatives, um, editors, artists, chefs, if they could get up that early and come hang out. And it was really this place that I wanted to have very like genuine, free-flowing creative conversation and be a place that people could really connect uh, and work on projects after. There was no like overlying motive, like the social media aspect of it didn't matter so much. It was really just to connect in the morning um, and ended up doing 40 plus of those events around the world everywhere from Pujol in Mexico City with Enrique Oliveira to, um, Kala with Gabriela Kamara, Mike Solomonov. It, it, it's been like an incredibly rewarding part of my career that I got exposed to so much, so much talent. It's so cool. And, and
0: also I know that you, you did some late night events or you expanded the, the, the hours of breakfast because I, I recall going to your event you did with Brad Kilgore and Soraya um, at so- South Beach wine and food
1: festival well um,
0: that's I mean, miami
1: for you like, yeah, you can't host a breakfast event ago, in miami right? yeah that was a couple of years ago so we um wanted to throw this like anti not anti but like rebel food and wine festival party like yeah um and just wanted to do like midnight breakfast sandwiches and we didn't even make cocktails. We just put out bottles of tequila on the bar. And it was just supposed to be like a party and a super fun kind of time because it, it was Miami and we needed to be conscious of our audience there, so. Yeah, well, it was super fun. And yeah. and you're right, that is more of Miami style. <laughs> I've hosted a few morning events in Miami and people roll through like 30 minutes before it's over and then end up hanging out like way later. And I've definitely learned from hosting events there. I have a lot of friends there. I have so much respect for that city and and food culture. I have such a good time every time I go.
0: Yeah, so funny. So, so all this then led into you doing a breakfast book. Um I which which Came out when did it come out? Like a year or so ago? Um
1: a year ago. Feels like a lifetime ago. But yeah, I met um, my editor, Emily Takutis, at Fiden. She came to the second Breakfast Club event I ever did at Contra in the Lower East Side. It was like right when they opened, so this was quite a few years ago. And she ended up connecting with so many incredible people really enjoyed the experience we stayed in touch for years before she ended up commissioning this book it was after i had been traveling and writing and and really doing all of this stuff so it it became this incredibly rewarding research project to then document breakfast in all of these places not only that i've traveled to but to also reach out to these people who i connected to and Talk to them about what is traditionally eaten for breakfast from their culture in their country, city, wherever. Um, What was great is that, from an editorial perspective, when I was writing, I was talking about products, restaurants, like kind of everything across the board, and looking at things from a global trend perspective, recognizing patterns, and then was working with like, you know, tasting menu um chefs when i was doing breakfast club so this book was like very much about home cooking none of the recipes could be chefified for a better word i guess but um it was very much just meant to be what people enjoy for breakfast what's nostalgic in their home from their culture
0: yeah, I remember when you were you're in the final stages of working on the book and um and then it came out. I mean it's gorgeous and it's like and I and Emily's been on my show before, the other Emily. Um and <laughs> it's just it's super exciting that you were able to get that off the ground and you have a book, a whole book. Yeah.
1: It is wild. It's so wild. It's it took three years to research and develop. We had um it features eighty countries, we had over a hundred people that helped of look at each of these countries each of the recipes make sure everything was correct and um, in fact things that you would eat breakfast in those places so it might not be breakfast for all in a certain country but for this friend and family it it was breakfast for them so it's such a personal meal that changes honestly based on household let alone country and region and everything so it was it was just incredible to hear so many people's stories and rituals and meals. Yeah, well, that's a good segue
0: into my question for my last guest on episode two sixty three. I had on Kelly Fields, the chef and owner of Willa Jean in New Orleans. She has a new cookbook that just came out, The Good Book of Southern Baking: A Revival of Biscuits, Cakes, and Cornbread, and she wants to know. Um, well, she was saying as having tra- someone who's as traveling around the world and is uh, fascinated with what she found with different countries' approach to breakfast, do you have a top one or three favorite breakfast approaches internationally?
1: Oh, it's, I mean, it's so hard to pick. It changes all the time. Um, definitely something from Mexico. I feel like I was just flipping through Gabriela Camara's book um, last night and saw her kind of torta de Chiaquiles and say uh-huh. like a chicken cutlet sandwich with chiaquiles on it, and it reminded me of having that in Mexico City, and it's like, <laughs> I mean, the most carbs you can probably fit into one meal, but honestly the most incredible thing ever especially if you're out drinking the night before and it's just so good um I love soup for breakfast so I'll make congee at home in varying different ways sometimes with more of the like kind of traditional Chinese toppings and then sometimes just whatever I happen to have in my kitchen um and then there's a soup that's popular in Singapore for breakfast it's like a spiced um broth, bone broth soup called bakute, which is also incredible, Israeli breakfast, like anything where there's like tons of condiments and like little plates of things that you can grab and like soak up with bread, down for all of that.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes to all of that. Wow, that was a great list. Um. So Kelly's other question for you was: uh, She started out was how she, how can she produce her own cereal? And um, I want to know how can how did you produce your own cereal? I mean, let's let's dive into this off limits because I you have your you have your own cereal company now, which is incredible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is wild and definitely combines my whole career. Like only now can I see how everything ends up connecting. So it's, that's been very cool.
0: So how, how did it come about? Like, how did you come up with the idea and, 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 and the process of launching a, a whole new, a new line
1: of products? Yeah. So I've always been obsessed with, you know, art and cartoons. I feel like I've constantly been straddling food and design industries in really different ways. Like, not like struggling but like searching to figure out how I could combine them all together into something that I really love doing and that I could kind of bring people together and um, create something exciting and new so I felt like the only options with cereal are Kellogg's which is and General Mills and the bigger legacy cereal brands which are undoubtedly fun and delicious but you know, terrible for you kind of ingredients and loaded with sugar. And then there's the natural cereal brands, which are, you know, allegedly healthier for you, but have just like painfully boring packaging or are like specifically marketed to kids. And I felt that because we transitioned into this health space with the packaging being a little bit more dulled down and earthy to differentiate the sugary comparison, we were kind of missing that culture vibe. Like, cereal has been such a vehicle for culture like Wheaties boxes featured athletes like all these characters had like crazy wild commercials and stories and worlds around them and I felt like none of them had been innovated in decades there was nothing speaking to a modern consumer or person or anything and there was no female identifying cereal mascots which honestly did not even realize until like six months into working on this project and that's where kind of like one of the characters was um created so this always (laughs) sorry
0: i didn't even real i didn't as i was on your uh, website and reading about your brand and you pointed that out and i was like oh really like it's just one of those things i didn't realize either which is kind of crazy
1: yeah it's i mean it's wild and like kind of unacceptable so another reason why i felt like this serial world just needed an update and a younger voice to to take on some of these newer consumers um so i remember distinctly when i like officially decided i wanted to start this and i was sitting in a cafe with like one of my friends mentors um dana cowan and she loved the idea told me to go for it i was like very on the fence about starting an entire company raising money like going through the whole process of everything and she kind of gave me that final push and vote of confidence to like move forward with everything and it's kind of I mean it's been a wild ride since then but um, the whole brand kind of came about very very organically because I put so much emotion into it. The characters actually came before anything else. I wanted these characters to be relatable and real and emotional. That's why we say emotionally unstable cartoon characters because I feel like there's this stigma in culture for cartoons to always be like so happy all the time or projecting a certain vision or view of the product in a good way. And we make fun of ourselves we go through human processes of emotions with our characters our characters run customer service they have their own social media accounts they respond to people they get in twitter wars with people we're kind of using them to be this voice for people that don't often get to be heard and represented from a brand so it's really important that's kind of like the culture side of things as well it's and then the flavors were dictated oh, after that. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, talk about, I was going to say, talk about um, the the flavor profiles or the different characters you have.
1: Yeah, so Dash is the uh, female bunny in an 80s power suit and sneakers. She's like the sneakerhead obsessed with K-pop and like a little bit of a workaholic. So she deals with the flip side of that, which is like paralyzing anxiety and like social pressure. So she needs a cereal that can like keep her amped up and like moving. So Dash has a coffee and cocoa flavor and turns the milk to cold brew. So if you like stir around the cereal for 30 seconds or so, your milk turns into cold brew and then you can have your breakfast and your coffee in one sitting (laughs) so it's definitely meant to be a time saver because dash needs that because she's so busy all the time oh fun Um. um and then zombie is the opposite zombies like chill stoner skater kind of like artist vibes always wanting to be in the wellness world but then you know can sometimes deal with like depression and and things like that so he needs a cereal to like chill them out um so zombie is vanilla and pandan flavor and then has ashwagandha which is an adaptogen that is stress relieving anti-inflammatory like really good for you and spirulina so it's um really fun kind of innovative new flavors. We like to do something that is familiar, but then something like really fun and interesting that kind of rockets people into this off limits universe cartoon dimension that we're creating.
0: It's really cool. And again, yeah, I was, I was, I said, I was on your website kind of playing around. There's games, there's ways to earn points. Uh, and is, is the, um, is your cereal just available now through the website, or are you in any uh, retail markets, or um, or what, or any anything coming up?
1: yeah so our website is um we just have our large boxes and it's it's really cool completely gamified so every box of cereal you buy equates to tickets and then you get to go to the toy store and kind of like an arcade choose the toy that you want so we're working we have our own like very non-traditional cereal toys like spray paint um and working on some crazy toy collaborations and like you said the whole site there's just hidden easter eggs and games and fun stuff going on we have an art gallery that um gives back to school art programs when you purchase prints and lots of other fun stuff in the works and then our mini boxes are single serve boxes you tear off the top you can pour milk right inside so it's the perfect on the go option and we work with intelligentsia coffee for our dash cereal so they were kind of the first coffee shops and cafes to like take the mini boxes on so we're currently at all the intelligentsia locations i think some of them are closed right now because of covid and everything but the open ones are there and then we are about to be in a lot more coffee shops coming soon
0: oh that's awesome that's a great partnership with them and yeah and and uh yeah it's also clever i can't even imagine what goes into or maintaining your website even. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's just supposed to be fun. I feel like sometimes brands take themselves too seriously or they're really just, you know, focusing on one thing. And there's just, there's a risk. But um, I think it's more important to create an emotional connection with people and really build a community around something. Let people fall down the rabbit hole and not have it be like so transactional.
0: Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's, it's terrific. Um, what are you planning to launch more, more, um, recipes and, and different, different characters?
1: We are, we are going to have two more characters and flavors coming out. To,
0: to,
1: to be continued, to stay tuned. Yeah, (laughs) stay tuned, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, so this, so, I mean... Uh, so what what would you say? I don't know what a lesson learned or for someone who wants to be an entrepreneur or start their own company, whether it's a serial line or something else, what, what would you advise them? I mean that you you've, you know lessons you've learned along this process.
1: Um, there's quite a few lessons. I mean, don't let anyone who has the money tell you that you can't do this because you absolutely can even though money is so important to to building a company like this, um, it honestly, it just takes, it takes a lot of perseverance and you have to just have a very clear vision and somewhat unwavering, at least to get to launch. And really, like, my goal for this is to prove that you can come from a creative background, have a creative team, and still launch a successful company. Not everything has to be, you know, business degree, kind of resume in order to have a successful business so we're really really community focused so any of the like artists out there or creative people who are constantly told by everybody in their life or certain people in their life kind of much like me where it's you shouldn't necessarily you can't commoditize your creativity like you have to be a starving artist or tortured artist or all these different kind of stigmas that come with being creative it's it's absolutely not true and. You just got to go for it. That's
0: that's terrific, and I love that Dana is the one that kind of gave you that push um, to go for it. She's yeah,
1: as I feel like she has with many people. <laughs> so I think that she's to thank for a lot of incredible entrepreneurs and and people out there. Yeah, no, I've I've listened. I know she's talked about
0: that too. About she kind of she um, she can see or she kind of gets a feeling um and for other people or advises them in in their next roles and is really really has like a talent for it um so uh, i'm glad very much so (laughs) well that's great i can't wait to try it because i haven't had your cereal yet but i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna order it and i'm gonna i'm gonna look for it and my wherever i can find intelligentsia here in the city yeah (laughs) So, um, okay, so let's take a little break and we will come back and we will have my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. We'll have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Every time your customers eat and drink, they vote for the world they want to live in. And as the world's largest B Corp, To Know North America helps people vote for a better world with all kinds of better dairy, coffee, and plant-based products sourced and produced transparently. To Know North America has the brands people know and love, like International Delight, Oikos, Silk, So Delicious Dairy Free, Horizon Organic, and Stoke Cold Brew Coffee. But to know North America represents more than just in-demand brands and better-for-your-business products. They bring their B Corp certification to life in ways that protect the environment and communities by utilizing 100% renewable electricity sources to produce their products at their manufacturing facilities, committing $6 million to programs that restore the soil's ability to capture and sequester carbon, helping to restore more than 7.8 billion gallons to freshwater ecosystems through their water partnerships over the past decade, and committing to 100% reusable, recyclable, and compostable packaging by 2025. Learn how you can choose better at DenoneAwayFromHome.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Emily Elise Miller. She's the CEO and founder of Off Limits, which is a new serial and culture brand built around emotionally unstable counterculture cartoon characters. Actually, before the show, I was I was thinking, try do you try saying that like um, ten times fast. <laughs> Counterculture cartoon characters,
1: yeah, it's fun, (laughs) you know, (laughs) making it difficult for everyone.
0: (laughs) There's a game, you there's a game that's my game for your,
1: for exactly (laughs) (laughs) right. If you're gonna rapid fire ask me questions, I gotta, you know, challenge you a little bit, yeah. Well, I got through
0: that, I've now said it's life, so. Um okay so for for the speed round what this is is I name a couple of things and you get to pick your preference such as chocolate or vanilla. So it's it's easy cool. and fun. Harmless. Mm. Okay, so here we go. Eat in or eat out. In. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Uh, all-inclusive.
1: Ali Sheedy or Molly Ringwald? <laughs> oh my god! I only know who Molly is, so I guess Breakfast Molly. Club. Yeah, I guess I just know Molly from Breakfast Club. Ally was the other character. Oh, oh, oh! Weird, okay.
0: weird, <laughs> weird in it Breakfast Club fail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I figured I would throw that in there because I, I whenever I Breakfast Club, obviously I grew up with, grew up with that. Totally. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you're going with Molly. Um, All right, this one, I had to throw this in there. How about uh, Ann Taylor or Ann Taylor Loft?
1: I guess Ann Taylor Loft because they kindly featured me in one of their campaigns.
0: Yes, that's what I saw, and it's fantastic. You were like on a billboard in Times Square throwing cereal in your mouth. like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was totally unexpected, too. I had no idea that that's where it was going to go. But um, yeah, it was great. Really? Wow. I was like,
0: I didn't I didn't even know you did modeling until I saw that. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing.
1: I don't really. They they were asking. um, They found me because of the cereal. And we were just about to kind of launch and wanted to feature some female kind of entrepreneurs, normal people. (laughs)
0: Wow, that's so cool. Well, I'm, uh, good for you. I mean, it was awesome. Okay,
1: so
0: the last two I have are cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. And Manhattan or Brooklyn?
1: Oh, no. Uh, Brooklyn. <laughs> I live in Manhattan right now, but Brooklyn is, is my, like, home.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's the game. See? Um, just Just a little fun. Nice. So, uh, industry news. I, I saw this article that was um, – it was on the Nashville scene online, and it was entitled, Louisville-based Lee Initiative recognizes James Beard, James Beard finalists with grants. And it was by Chris Chamberlain. Um, and this, this, you know – I think people who listen to this show are familiar, have been kind of following along a bit with the James Beard Foundation. Um, there's, there's been a bit of controversy happening over, you know, the past couple of weeks or just, uh, mm-hmm. just uh, the James Beard decided that they weren't going to announce winners uh, of the awards um, this year due to the pandemic and some other circumstances. Um, and so they had revealed the list of finalists, but um, there weren't going to be, you know, the awards for who the, the final pick was. So this I thought was really cool that Lee, Lee Initiative um, is decided they were going to give grants to everyone, um, all the finalists of the regional Best Chef Awards and um, their achievements. Yeah, I
1: feel like especially now, um, that is super helpful, and that's, like, really what restaurants need is money to, like, help keep things afloat with, like, very little help or signs from the government that anything is going to change or or anything they have to plan. So, it's, it's amazing. And, yeah, I, I can't imagine getting nominated and then finding out that uh, <laughs> it's not happening. I'm sure that's devastating, but...
0: Yeah. I'm glad somebody yeah. could
1: step it up and do the right thing.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been, yeah, I can't imagine either. And this, I, I mean, the Lee Initiative was, um, it's led by Chef Edward Lee, and he's partnering with Maker's Mark. Um, and they've been, through the pandemic, they've been uh, they're doing a restaurant workers relief program and a lot of great, great things to, to help to help um the industry and this it said they were giving um $3000 grant um to each regional best chef nominee and um yeah it's super cool i think it's you know as you said like celebrating people in the industry and and trying to help them get through this hard time uh, and and yeah finances is definitely something that is needed
1: yeah i think it's great
0: so good for them i mean i i um I applaud them for doing that, and um, and I understand, you know, you know, the James Beard Foundation is is taking, that you know, they had their reasonings for taking um, to not doing the 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 award ceremony and finalist uh, list this year, and uh, we'll see how it turns around um, in the years to come. I know they're taking a break for next year too, which you know, with restaurants being. Being closed, um, I think it is a time to kind of look at um, the awards and see like how maybe it is a time to change. And um, but but I've always, I mean, I've covered the awards, I've gone to James Beard Foundation, you know, awards forever. Um, it's a big part of our industry. So
1: yeah, I think that um, honestly, it's it's exactly like the industry I'm in now. Like we're going up against some of the biggest CPG brands on the planet, and They haven't really been held accountable for anything in a really long time. And all of these bigger kind of brands giving out awards in the food world from like Michelin to James Beard to like even the media publications like Bon Appetit. Like everyone is, you know, taking a closer look at all of the practices that they have and the lack of practices that they have and need to like start working on. So maybe this time off is a good thing for James Beard and kind of for everyone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that and I do, um, yeah, I, but it's, it's also, you know, celebrating the industry and the positive things and that's why this grant and the fact that they're, they're stepping up to do that is, is a really cool thing. So, um. Yeah.
1: That's what's great is that they were like, oh, these poor people got nominated and are just kind of left hanging. and. Uh, they really like took it upon themselves to do that, so it's cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, no kudos to them, and uh, yeah, if you have if you have the funds, you have the means to do it. Um, it's a great, it's it's really wonderful. So, all right, um, time for my solo dining experience. So this week it's at Iconic Pasties. Here's the rundown: the location, fifty two Gansevoort Street, Meatpacking District, New York City. The concept, it's a beloved New York City favorite serving traditional French bistro fare. The owners, uh, two award-winning restaurateurs, you got Keith McNally and Steven Starr paired up for this. Uh, Why did I go? Well, I'm a fan of theirs and I wanted to support them and I've always loved Pestisse. So my experience. So it was about two weeks ago on a Sunday evening, I got a reservation for one uh, early reservation for dinner um, it was a really gorgeous day. I, I biked down there and uh, when I arrived at the restaurant, uh, I was, went up to the outdoor hostess stand. Um, my table was gonna be ready in a minute. And then when it was, uh, before I could go sit down, they gave me a temperature check, which was the first time I had that in um, dining out experience. Um, so, uh, you know, this, it's been interesting dining out in in the COVID pandemic uh, uh scene and seeing how restaurants are, are dealing with it. So I had my temperature check, I passed, I was uh, sat at a, a, a nice booth, um, which had socially distanced tables, uh, there are partitions between the tables, the menu was uh, to scan it on your phone. Um, so there's no paper, uh, anything handed out. Um, hospitality was really nice. And I enjoyed my alfresco experience. So what did I get? Well, they had a complimentary bread basket. Uh, I also got a Virgin Bloody Mary and because I guess I was doing like brunch for dinner. Um, (laughs) And uh, I got the Moule Fritz, which is mussels and fries. Um, My take, it was fabulous. It was just, it was a really great combo actually between the Bloody Mary and, and having the mussels with the their white wine sauce and garlic and the bread and the butter. And it was, it was a little, it was a, a little, um, nice meal that I kind of put together. So the ambiance, so it's a very pretty cobblestone block in the meatpacking district. They have a very nice setup for al- fresco dining. Uh, there's umbrellas and, um, o- there's an o- a large overhang over the space too. Um, in the indoor space is a classic, uh, McNally space with the zinc bar and subway tiles and vintage mirrors. And I, I, I went in to use the bathroom. They had little arrows marking of how to walk around, um, the area. So, um, all these protocols have been put in place and it's, you know, everyone's putting safety first, which is, which is nice to see. Uh, I'd say it's perfect for a chic and casual alfresco dining experience. Always good for people watching. Uh, interesting tidbit. So in 2019, pastis opened, well, they reopened at this spot on Gansevoort Street. And it was a revival of the original location that had been around the corner. And that spot had opened in 1999. And then it closed in 2014 um, over uh, the rent. I believe the rent was tripled from what I read. So this uh, was brought back five years later. It was highly anticipated. And I've I've been to the spot before, I really uh, think it's it's great. Um, Keith McNally, the original owner, um, he's the chief designer of the space while Steven Starr and his team has focusing on culinary and operations. So personal fun fact, um, I've dined at Spasys, as I've said a couple of times, I've been there solo, I've been there with friends, I've been there for breakfast um, and Keith McNally and I are, are Instagram friends which is kind of fun. Uh, the cost of my meal was thirty four dollars not including tax and gratuity would i go back yes i would website is pastisnyc.com there you have it um emily have you been to the new pastis i asking if you've been to the old pastis i'm sure you have
1: (laughs) yeah i i went pre-covid to the new one too it was fun
0: yeah it's i think it's always a fun a fun spot and they do a good job so uh trying to support restaurants uh, as much as, much as I can.
1: Right. Especially. Yeah. Now is the best time to do that.
0: Yeah. And, and now that the weather is starting to turn too, I'm just like, Oh, this outdoor dining. I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to so, get into the space heater business. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Something hand warmers. So Okay, it's time for the final question. My next guest is Dale DeGroff. He is known as King Cocktail. Um, He is credited for reviving bartending as a profession and setting off a cocktail explosion that continues to transform the industry. He has a new book out, The New Craft of the Cocktail, Everything You Need to Know to Think Like a Master Mixologist. I have been meaning to have him on my show forever I feel and I'm so excited to talk to him so Emily what would you like to ask
1: Dale so I have kind of a it's like a two-part question obviously having to do with breakfast but I'm wondering what Dale's favorite breakfast cocktail is and then if it is kind of one of the more classic brunch selections if he has a really unexpected breakfast cocktail that maybe somebody enjoys around the world in a certain location that maybe people won't be as familiar with
0: Oh, cool! That's great. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. Um, yeah, same. <laughs> I don't feel. I don't think people talk about breakfast cocktails that much, except as I, like the brunch bloody mary,
1: right? Probably because if you're drinking in the morning, it's it's like a <laughs> shot or like something that is does not require a, a cocktail mixing situation. <laughs> I, guess,
0: I guess that's why. <laughs> but um we'll we'll see what he has to say I bet he has a good answer yeah perfect so um that's the show and you are just fabulous and I can't believe everything you've accomplished and that you launched your own cereal brand and I'm just really proud of you and want to say congratulations (laughs) thank you and I wish you the best moving forward see see how it develops and Same. and grows.
1: yeah, you too. thanks for having me
0: sure and And just one more are you still going to be doing breakfast clubs
1: um I don't think so. I think if we do a breakfast club type thing, it would be somehow related to Off Limits and you know, bringing people together, maybe working with chefs. Like I don't want to say no. Like The concept might kind of come through in something we do with Off Limits. But um, yeah, it's kind of just been the progression of, of my career going through all of these different projects to get to the next one and building on the community learning that i did through breakfast club to build off limits yeah well
0: yeah i could well stay tuned and it does it all like ties together and kind of yeah has led you on this path and journey and as i said at the way beginning a breakfast guru that you are (laughs) um so uh yeah again congratulations and thank you for joining me today
1: perfect thank you so much
0: my guest today has been Emily Elise Miller. She's the CEO and founder of Off Limits and the author of Breakfast the Cookbook, which is by Fiden, and she's the founder of Breakfast Club. You can find her and her company at eatofflimits.com, and also she's at emilyelisemiller.com on social media at Emily Elise Miller and at eatofflimits. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at all industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. My websites are bayerpublicrelations.com, sherrybayer.com and all in the industry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritage radio network.org. We are also in iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang. Thanks again to Emily and to our public publicist Eleanor. I'm Sherry Bayer. Till next week, be safe and be well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.